Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Visible Christianity, and it is part of the Our Time to Shine Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Now, the world is always dark, the world is always difficult, the world is always in chaos. So you could preach this sermon anytime, this series anytime, and it would be correct. It does seem like we have some unique challenges these days. So I believe it presents a unique opportunity for you, the people of God. I believe it presents, has, is presenting a unique opportunity for the church to be the church of Jesus Christ like never before. So Jesus makes it really clear in Matthew 5.16 that functioning as the light of the world requires a movement on our part because he talks about setting it on a lampstand. Uh, I believe he makes it really clear that we're not automatically the visible right of Christ's love, Christ's power, Christ's presence, Christ's moral goodness. We're not just automatically that because just because we believe or just because we're saved. Leviticus 2.19 says, do not bring shame on the name of God. And that's talking to God's people. So Philippians 2, where we're going to go today, presents us a set of instructions, then sets up Jesus as the template that leads us to this verse in Philippians 2.15. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Now that, that conjunctive so there is pretty important. So we need to know if you just jumped in and read that verse, that'd be great. But we need to know what, it's, what he said before that. Because he said a bunch of things before that. And he's, so he's saying, the reason I told you everything from verse, verse, to, verse 1 down to verse 15, the reason I told you all of that is so you could be lights in a crooked and difficult and depraved world. In fact, let me go back and read. We're not going to read all of that. In fact, some of the most important passages I'm only going to allude to during the message and won't take the time to read all of these verses. For, all, for those of you that are in a community group that's doing the sermon recap, I'm going to have you read out loud all those verses because I want you to, I, you know, there, the, the, as uh, Tim Keller points out, uh, there are, throughout, if you read the Bible, there are many passages that are like, if the Bible were a mountain range, there are peaks. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the peaks in the Bible. And Philippians chapter 2 is one of the peaks in the mountain range. If you were to pick a, a, a passage, a, a chapter in the Bible that you want to learn and understand, Philippians 2 is a very important passage for you to read and understand. Uh, because it explains... Jesus, it explains what we, what we call the incarnation. It explains salvation. It explains how we're to behave toward one another. It's an incredible, important passage. So if you, if you go back up to chapter 1, or, chapter, or verse 1 in chapter 2, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, 
If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I've got to be honest. When I planned this series weeks ago, and, didn't, and, and even when I planned this week, I didn't know what I was going to discover. I, I was on a discovery mission. I didn't know what I was going to discover, and I, I was shocked to discover the low-hanging fruit. You know what that means, low-hanging fruit, that which is easily accessible. I was surprised to f- discover that the, the low-hanging fruit for being a light to the world is for Christians to get in right relationship, submit, and be deeply committed to one another. I was shocked. I, I thought it was going to be more about strategies for getting out into the world and out into the community, which we believe in that, of course. It occurs to me that we've shot ourselves in the foot a lot by not working as hard as we could have on being a community that loved each other and embraced each other. Let that phrase in the first verse sink in. Let tenderness and compassion, he said, have tenderness and compassion toward one another. No ad campaign, no front door welcome strategy, no seeker sensitive service approach will compete with a congregation where the members of that church have decided to deeply love one another. That's what this sermon's about. I'm calling this message Visible Christianity because I believe that it's possible for you and I to believe in Christ, rely on Him for our eternal salvation, attend church regularly, be a volunteer in our hearts, sincerely identify as a Christian, but not position our life to illuminate our world with the knowledge of Jesus. Often the reason we're unimpressive to the world is because we don't understand Christ and we haven't been taught. This is a very important point to me. I think it's important. I hope hope you think it's important. We haven't been taught to feel the way Christ felt. We haven't been taught to think the way Christ thinks. We've been taught to try to act like Jesus. You've all been chided and taught and admonished to follow Jesus, to act like Jesus. But Philippians 2 gives us a whole other mandate because it opens up for us behind the scenes, not to what Jesus did, but what he thought about what he did. How Jesus felt about other people. How he felt about himself and others. It's because it says this, have this mind in you in verse 5. Have this mind in you among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, but did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Now, first of all, I want you to understand is we have this privilege now of going behind the curtain in finding out how Jesus thinks and feels. And also, we 
we have this opportunity to realize that the context, context is so important. Context in scripture, when you're reading scripture, is so important. The context here is the church. The context here is the local church. The context is the local church. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me read it again. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. Think of the absurdity of the idea that if you're an outsider, and we talk a lot about the outsiders, and you know that's a major emphasis at Bethany. It's a major emphasis. We talk about being bigger on Monday, we're on Sunday. We're not going to change that. That this message is not a repudiation of that philosophy at all. But think of the absurdity of the idea that if you're an outsider, we're going to love you deeply. We're going to uh, forgive you of any transgression. But when you join us, after you're here for 30, 40 days, we're going to, we might ignore you, be offended at you all the time, be rude to you, and treat you like you're the enemy. Think of the absurdity of that. Remember the, some, how, many, how, many, how many of you saw, I couldn't watch it because I'm, I'm, I'm a little sensitive about watching movies. And so I avoid things that have violence in them. And I don't, it's not a moral thing. I don't have a problem. You know, life is violent. The world's violent. So I don't have a problem with you watching. Uh, a friend, friend of mine used to tell me, in fact, a pastor in Baton Rouge, he said on Monday I go into the abyss. And I said, well, what do you do when you go into the abyss? He said, I go watch violent movies. That doesn't work for me. So I didn't watch the, the film Misery. How many of you watched the film Misery, movie Misery back in 1990? You know, Kathy Bates' character and, and James Caan character, and she meets the dream. Her dream is to meet this writer. And she gets him in the cabin, and she begins to torment him. That's the way it must feel to go to some churches. You know... <laughs> The welcome committee's there, and they're like, oh, so glad you're here. We just love everybody. We accept everybody. Come on. But after you're there for a while, you find out it's a bunch of petty people that torment you all the time. <laughs> now, th th if I only found this one place, and I, I, like, I like to go with the, uh, the, the idea that's in the Old Testament, let every word be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So if I wonder if something really should be true and a doctrine that I, if I wonder if I'm interpreting the scripture correctly, I'll go look and do I find other passages that confirm or contradict it? And quickly I run over to John chapter 13 verse 34, a new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another, he's talking to his disciples, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is how you will be a visible light to the world. By being incredibly passionate, tender-hearted, loving and kind, and authentic and honest and truthful to one another. And then he says in John 4.11, because God loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, the church can be like a manufacturer who spends all their resources on promoting their product and zero resources on developing the quality of their product. A while back, we went to a restaurant uh, uh, in the area. And uh, 
I don't know, and, and Sherry and I talk about this because uh, she, uh, really, those of us who take Sherry out to dinner, uh, it just, it's just unbelievable the things that happen to her at dinner in restaurants. I mean, just, just things go wrong when she orders, and she just orders in a normal voice, and she's not unkind, and, and, and this is one of those times when Sherry looks at the menu, and they, she goes, uh, I forget what she ordered, but she wanted this one thing, and now we're out of that. Then she goes to the next item, five items. And the waiter said, we're out of it, we're out of it, we're out of it. Finally, I think she got an enchilada or something. I don't know. <laughs> and that's the way some churches are. That's the way some groups of Christians are. I'm, I worry, sometimes Bethany's like that. Uh, you come in here and I, I need some forgiveness and tolerance. Oh, we're all out of that, sorry. <laughs> I, I need somebody to overlook some of my faults. Now we're, no, we're all out of that overlooking faults. We're, we're out, I mean... <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like a showroom window with beautiful clothes, and you walk in the store, and I want that suit in the window. Oh, we don't have that. Sorry. <laughs> as many of you know, I call it, uh, I, as, as I said, I mean, I call it low-hanging fruit because if we'll just humble ourselves before God, confess our sins, and our complete dependence on Him, I can't overemphasize that, our complete dependence on him, we can take that next step in becoming truly a bright spot in the community in this dark world. As many of you know, I have a deep interest in correcting bad doctrines and dangerous philosophies. I do. The Bible says of the men of Issachar in the Bible Testament, they understood the times and knew what they were to do. So I think that's important. But more, let me tell you something, more children are lost to Christianity because of parents who either have no interest in integrating their lives with other Christians or who are always offended at other Christians and they let their kids know. More kids, I've watched this for 40 years, I know you're not going to argue with me because I know I'm right. My, my mother used to, she was a quiet woman, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't loud, she wasn't, didn't come across real strong. But when she had an opinion, she would say to me, Phil, I have the mind of God. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to stick my jaw out like my mother used to. I have the mind of God on this. More children are lost because of people in the church who either don't want to integrate their lives with other Christians or who are always offended at other Christians about something petty thing that happened to them. Well, I, I want to give you some insight on this. I want to help you today. I want to help you on this, okay? We are not Christians, you know. Uh, 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 let, let, me, let me not skip over this something else I was going to say here. Uh, I love talking about integrating lives. I, I didn't want to leave the, you know, this is a verse. I just, I forced this verse in here because I love it so much. And uh, it says in Psalms 101.6, I will make the godly of the land my heroes and invite them to my home. I love that verse. That's the Living Bible's translation of that verse. That's, that's about integrating your lives with other Christians. All right? Is that okay? Can you accept that? You are not a Christian because of what you believe. You're a Christian because of who and what you've committed to. 
I said, you're not a Christian because of what you believe. The Bible says demons believe and tremble. You're not a Christian because of what you believe. You're a Christian because of what and who you commit to. I love the statement by J.I. Packer that goes with what I'm saying today. If you ask, what is, why is this happening? Pandemic, riots, election, infection, whatever. If you ask, what, why is this happening? No light may come. But if you ask, how am I to glorify God now? Then you will always, then there will always be an answer. Isn't that good? I believe Philippians tell, tells us to, chapter 2 tells us to, to think radically different, number one, about our relations with one another. Number two, integrate our physical and spiritual worlds in Christ. And number three, learn a new way to ascend. Think radically different about our relations with one another. Being the light of the world is a result of holy and healthy collective thinking. Philippians 2, 5, have this mind in yourself, I already read it, I'll read it again, have this mind in yourself, which is also, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, when Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth, I want you to hear this. When Jesus called us, I'm talking about being a collective, not in a communist Marxist sense, but in a Christian sense. When Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, he was addressing us as a group and not as individuals. He didn't point out one guy in the crowd and say, come over here, you're the light of the world. <laughs> he didn't point out one lady, lady, you're the light of the world. He was talking to a group of people who were attentive to his words, a good crowd. And he said to the crowd, that crowd that day, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. But it, it means that our relationship with other believers is where we are formed as salt and light so we can function as salt and light. Our training, listen, our training in tolerance, patience, forgiveness, humility, acquiescence, obedience, deference, and honesty are in here. See, a lot of you came in here and you think, these are the saved, perfect people. God brought me in here just to bless me with perfect people around me who will never disappoint me. No. God brought you in here for boot camp. God brought you here to stick you with people that are going to annoy you and get on your nerves and disappoint you and let you down and, and in the center of our fellowship will be a Bible that will teach us how to resolve this stuff and grow up in Christ. It, See, it's by God's design that people in here will have the same issues as the people out there. Read the New Testament. Read the epistles. And remember every word you read. I, I, I dare some of you read, read all the epistles. And think about every word you read and tell yourself this. Remind yourself, these words are written to Christians. Christians are a mess. I mean, it, it's everything. Sexual immorality, murder, everything. And it's written to Christians. Well, I'm not going to the church because there's a lot of hypocrites. No, there's a lot of sinners in here. We're not hypocrites because we'll, we'll, be, we'll be honest. We're struggling. 
And so God puts you in this place because it's a laboratory and a place to learn to deal with people under the context and the guidelines of the Word of God. Amen? The need of the human soul, see. By the way, I just got to say this. Paul is our example. Because I, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, there are people here in, have, in this room that have issues. You know that, Pastor. There are people who have issues. And I just can't be happy here because those people have issues. Well, use Paul as your example. Use Paul as your example. And his, 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 his relationship to the Corinthians. Read the book of Corinthians. And read about his relationship with the Corinthians. Paul was honest and straightforward with the Corinthians. They knew where he stood. He's told them the truth. But he never stopped loving them. He never abandoned them. He never walked away from them, even when they wished he would. He never stopped going to Corinth. He, he, he served them for no money. He loved them beyond anything they could ever imagine. His heart bled for them. He wrote more words to them than he wrote to anybody else. Paul believed what Jesus believed, that when people are offensive to you, you move closer to them. That was it's getting quiet in here, Scotty. <laughs> when people who are offensive to you, you love them more. That's the gospel. That's the incarnation. We are to be imitating the incarnation. What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, uh, what's your name? <laughs> Matt? What's your name, Matt? I love this brother dearly. I can't remember his name. I work with him every day. See him at the office every day. What does it mean to imitate the incarnation? Be like Christ. What was Christ like? What's the, inc what's the incarnation? No, no, no. Give me a better... You, you, you're a reader and study. Give me a better... What was the incarnation? Moses, what's the incarnation? Christ came in and laid down his life for us, emptied himself of his divinity, and acted like a human among us, and loved us deeply, and forgave us, and didn't abandon us, and went to the cross. He went to the cross for us. How many people in this room will you go to the cross for? How many people in this room will you go to the cross for? Or how many people are you ready? If they do one more thing, I'm out of here. I'm done. One more thing. If they, just, if they just disappoint me one, one more time, if they're rude to me one more time. Listen, the incarnation is someone who would never give up on you. Even when you killed him, he wouldn't get up, give up on you. And the Bible says today he sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's the incarnation. Tough stuff, right? I told you this is boot camp. This is boot camp. To serve God with God's people. I don't mean to... I won't qualify. I have a tendency to take a lot of time qualifying things. I like this quote that I, someone tweeted out this week. The most valuable friend you have is one who disagrees with you persuasively. Anybody who agrees with you can like you. It takes a special person to consistently disagree with you, to challenge you, and sometimes convince you while also liking you. 
You know, a scientist at the University of Plymouth, this is a, not part of that quote, but scientists at the University of Plymouth just did a stu study said those who insult us most often actually want the best for us. I, you don't like that, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm having fun with you today, you know that, right? You know I love you. The church is where your tolerance and love muscles are supposed to get developed. That's also where you get your thinking straightened out. You learn to have truth and love in conversations about politics, religion, sexuality, with the Bible in your hand. You learn to love when you're annoyed, forgive when you're offended, have honest and loving confrontation with other believers. When the, when the non-believer comes to meet your church family, they're even more impressed with Jesus because they see a place where authenticity is appreciated and love and forgiveness are available in spades. See, the importance of the Trinity. The importance of the Trinity. You know the Trinity is? God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. The, the importance of the three-in-one is the realization that God from eternity past has always been in a committed relationship. The Godhead represents three beings that deeply love each other so powerfully. They work together. They accomplish great things together. They, they, they have a harmonious and loving relationship, and they've had it forever. I haven't heard of the Godhead divorcing each other. Have you? So God, now, now you say, why is this so important? Oh, this is so important. I hope, I hope you think it's good. But Jesus came to the earth. God created man not because he needed our love. He had plenty of love. He created us so he could give us his love. He created us to give us his love, not to get our love. Because he is already in a committed, loving relationship with, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. His love tank is already filled, so he created you in order to give to you. And that's the spirit that will make the church great. When we look around the room and we say, I have been put in this room to love you. I've been put in this room to bless you. I've been put in this room to find out what you need and see if I can meet that need. I've been put in this room to see if you have a burden that I can help you carry. You know, the human soul, the human soul is, a, is we need another human who will fight for us and won't abandon us. We're... we're Guys, we're in a, a culture that's really broken in this area of relationships. We're all very lonely and we're all very dis disconnected from one another. There's, I don't have the statistics in front of me on the suicide, but I know it's huge. Especially men now are committing suicide more than any other group. Why are we committing? Why are we killing ourselves? Why are, why are we? Why are we getting strung out on drugs? Why are we burying our noses in pornography? Why are we doing it? It's because we're so disconnected from one another. And and you know, Sherry and I, Sherry and I uh, uh, are downsizing. We think, and we're trying. Anyway, we're cleaning our house, and we we got a thirty-yard dumpster, and we started throwing stuff away. And, and as I found all the stuff I had stored and all the stuff is covered with dust and rust and stuff I've bought over 20 years. And, and I told Sherry, I said, being middle class is a problem because you can buy more stuff than you can manage. You know, and, 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 
and I thought to myself as I threw all this stuff away and gave some to the blessing bar and all this stuff, I thought of it, you know, if I had not done anything but take care of my stuff, my stuff would be in better shape. But that's the problem. That's the problem. If I take care of all my stuff, I don't take care of my brothers and sisters. I don't have any time for relationships. All I got time to do is come to church, set an, I better get it done in an hour because I got to go home and clean my garage and mow my grass and clean my basement and wash my clothes and take care of this middle class lifestyle that I've created. We've created, we've created more stuff than we can handle and our whole world is about our stuff and our world is not about the people that we need to love and the people we need to love us. I really, I know I didn't say that very eloquently, but I really believe it. I really believe the, the, the materialism of the 20th century that bled into the 21st century has closed us out from one another that literally I can go home today and push the button, my garage door goes up, I go inside and I don't have to see anybody. God has a different life for us. Secondly, being light of the world is a result of integrating our physical and spiritual worlds in Christ. I'm going to, I, I took too long on my other points, so I'm going to breeze through this very quickly. But there's powerful meaning in the fact that Christ was fully man and fully God. He gave up his rights to divinity to live in a physical body and engage in a physical world. It was the combination. He brought the spiritual world into the physical world. It's called the incarnations. I talked about it a minute ago. It's the core foundation of the gospel. Human life begins with God rolling up his sleeves and putting his hands in the dirt and creating you. It, it continues, and we have that remarkable scene where a woman was caught in the act of adultery, and Jesus gets down in the dirt and writes in the dirt. The last image of God in the Bible is God restoring and remaking this toxic planet back into its original beauty. It's sin that keeps the physical world and the spiritual world apart. It's sin that does it. You know, extremely religious people will try to divorce themselves from the physical world and won't move a finger to meet natural earthly needs. Extremely irreligious people will only care about the material world and meeting their physical and sensual needs. God brought the two worlds together in Jesus. Jesus came. Jesus came and he brought heaven to earth. Amen? Amen. He brought heaven to earth. Many people have a tendency to treat salvation like purchasing and filing away all their airline reservations, accommodation reservations, entertainment tickets, and travel in itinerary for their dream vacation. That's salvation. And so every once in a while, they look at the files, and they get out that file, or they go into the computer, and they look at the pictures of where they're going to go, and they, they, they sit back, and oh, they dream about someday when they're going to go to this place that's going to be perfect, and they're going to have this time of leisure, and uh, and. and, and and that, they, 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 that is not New Testament. That is not New Testament. The, the church in Acts 2 started living like they had already arrived at their heavenly destination. Because they had the Holy Spirit in one another. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Heaven on earth. 
I believe in heaven. I believe there's a place called heaven. I believe in eternity. And I believe there's an eternal home for us. But heaven starts now to a church that knows how to treat each other and love each other and is committed to the word of God. Finally, being the light of the world is result of learning a new way to ascend. Now, some Christians make the mistake of thinking, if I'm a good Christian, I won't care about success. I won't have any aspirations. I won't care about being a leader or being anybody that matters. I won't care about that. But that's not true. Sometimes we can think way too small and believe that humility is a reduction in our goals. That's not what the passage is talking about in Philippians 2.6 when he says he was in the form of God, but he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. We think, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do what makes me happy. But what is this passage teaching is a new and radical way to ascend. A new and radical way to reach the goals that God has put in your heart. First of all, Paul wants us to know that Christ has been here and he knows how difficult it is to be a human being. Also, when he found he was human, he chose the opposite way to do humanness. Jesus did. Our history, you know, our history, his history was, although he was God, he counted, him, he counted it not robbery to be equal with God. My history and our history is, although we are not equal with God, we count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus, though he were equal with God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Our history is, although we are not God, we count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing, it says. And what do we do? We try to make ourselves somebody. Years ago, when I was a young man, there was a service where the, in, our, in our area, all the pastors, fellowship thing, uh, a young pastor was supposed to get to preach. He had never preached before, I think, certainly before a crowd this large. And it was one of those services where people began to begin to pray, and this used to happen back in my Pentecostal tradition, where people would begin to pray and come to the altars and seek God, and there would be no preaching. In fact, we used to say, we had a really good service last night. There was no preaching. <laughs> yeah, I think that's funny, too. But I remember this young man, just so vivid to me, it was like 40, 45, 50 years ago now. That when it was over, he didn't get to preach, right? And I remember him walking over to me and he said, this all happened because I fasted and prayed. (laughs) We are terrified at the thought of being nothing, aren't we? God often lets us fall to the bottom or we get, you know, or we get to the top and we find it's totally dissatisfying or we're paranoid when we get in charge of something because we fear everyone thinks like us. (laughs) And wants wants our position. When you're successful, but your joy isn't dependent on it, you enjoy it more. Right? Handle it better, and you're not so insecure in it, right? Jesus knows how significant we can become if we're totally dependent 
on, his, on the higher power as he was. It wasn't that he didn't want to ascend. He just knew that man's way of ascending wasn't going to work. Anytime I'm trying to ascend in my own strength and my own power, it's not going to work. But when I relax and love and serve and let God worry about how big my platform is and how high my platform is, when I let God worry about how important I am and I don't worry about how important I am, then the God of eternity can look down and bless me. And I don't need people's blessing nearly as much as I need the blessing of God. Now, the average American will tell you they like Jesus. And you know what? That's irrational. No one who met Jesus in person ever just liked him. No one ever met Jesus had a moderate reaction to him. They either got away from him, plotted to get rid of him and kill him, or bowed before him and completely submitted to him. Thinking we like Jesus means we haven't allowed ourselves to be confronted with the truth of who he was. Wanting to get rid of him means we've penetrated that reality and we don't want his authority. But when we realize how much he totally loves us and how much he gave to give us back into his family, you will fall in love with him. That's what Philippians 2. It's presenting the Jesus that if you know that Jesus... You would be a fool not to serve him. You'd be a fool not to give your life to a Jesus who would make himself nothing so you could be something. You would be a fool not to give yourself to a Jesus who would call you, he would call himself your servant. You would be a fool not to fall in love with a Jesus who died the death of a slave in a culture that devalued slaves as being less than property. You would be a fool, and I know you're not a fool. The scripture says that even now he lives to make intercessions for the saints. So I want to join this club called the saints. So Jesus, the servant of all servants, the God-man can serve me. I, I want him to serve me. I welcome Jesus serving me. So... I will surrender to his love.